Thank you for listening to Tahlequah First United Methodist Church's sermon podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go online at tahlequahumc.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious God, we hear you in the laughter of children. We sense you in the warm breeze that touches the back of our necks when we walk outside. And we feel the love and care that you have for us by a simple smile from our neighbor. Lord, there is a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And I know it's the Spirit of the Lord. And so come, Holy Spirit. Come, as the scripture is read and the word is meditated on, come and fill our hearts with your peace. Be with us in every step and every breath that we take. In your name we pray. Amen. So we've been on this journey through the Gospel of Mark, and and I hope and pray that as you've been reading through it that you've discovered a few things. As we look at this week's scripture reading from Mark chapter 6, we're we're drawing back into the lectionary just a little bit, and, and I want you to listen carefully to what God may be speaking to you through God's word today. So let's turn to Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Jesus left that place and came to his hometown. His disciples followed him. On the Sabbath day, he began to teach in the synagogue. Many who heard him were surprised. Where did this man get all this? What's this wisdom he's been giving? What about the powerful acts accomplished through him? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't he Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? They were repulsed by him and fell into sin. Jesus said to them, Prophets aren't honored everywhere except in their hometowns, among their relatives and their own households. He was unable to do any miracles there, except that he placed his hands on a few sick people and healed them. He was appalled by their disbelief. Then Jesus, traveling through the surrounding villages teaching, he called the twelve and sent them out in pairs. He gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the journey except a walking stick, no bread, no bags, no money in their belts. He told them to wear sandals, but not to put on two shirts. He said, whatever house you enter, remain there until you leave that place. If a place doesn't welcome you or listen to you, as you leave, shake the dust off your feet as a witness against them. So they went out and proclaimed the people should change their hearts and lives. They cast out many demons and they anointed many sick people with olive oil and healed them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So Jesus walks in on this story, and he walks into the synagogue, and he has this wonderful teaching moment, this this great words of wisdom for the congregation listening, and one of the worst things that could ever happen happened. His family was there. 
And I say that because sometimes preaching in front of family is almost a little bit difficult. And I'm speaking from true experience. In my last church in Locust Grove, we, I had a good chunk of my family that attended that church. And, and, and sometimes I couldn't tell stories that I really wanted to tell because it included them. And I didn't want to talk about them in the way that the story made the example of. My brother's a good example of stories that I always like to share, and, and, and there was one particular Sunday I wanted to tell this story about a, a decision he made when we were younger, and I opted out of it at the last minute because I didn't want him to be embarrassed about the decision. Preaching in front of family is difficult because they can also be our harshest critics. They're going to be the most truthful and most honest people uh, that will give us the words that we need to hear. But in this particular story today, we find Jesus in the synagogue. He preached a wonderful sermon. Uh, people were obviously moved because they were mesmerized by the message that Jesus gave. We don't have the text of the message that Jesus gave, but apparently it made a difference because people started questioning. Where did he get this wisdom? Who is this man? Isn't he Mary's son? And, and I hope you understand that, that that comment alone is a strike against him being born out of wedlock. This is, is, it is one of those comments that people make that wasn't necessarily hurtful when they made it, but, you know, that good old Southern, bless your heart. That's kind of what it was. It was a strike against Jesus because he really wasn't the honorable prophet that, you know, that, that people painted him out to be. He had a rough past. And, and here's what's interesting about this text as we dive in and we look at it a little bit further. They begin to question him. It, it goes from having this, and, and I've been there as a preacher, you have this great sermon moment and then you have the next thing. A family member comes in and tears you down a little bit. But if you notice, it doesn't get Jesus down. Instead of just taking it in and, and saying, you know, they're right. I shouldn't have this wisdom. I'm not the person that, that, that God called me to be. You know, they, you know, Jesus doesn't let it bring him down. Instead, what he does is he turns them on its head. Instead of trying to convince his family uh, that, that he's right and, and that he's the son of God because he knew that they knew whether they believed it is a whole different story. They had the knowledge, but did they have the belief? They didn't have the belief. That was the struggle. That was the thing that this story is pointing out. It's not that they didn't know who he was because his community knew who he was. They had been with him since day one. At this point, he's around 30 years old, and, and, and I would assume as a child and, and, and early on, Jesus would have done some miracles that his family would have known about. They would have known that he had the power. They would have known his story. They would have known that God called him, anointed him, and yet they didn't believe it. And that's one of the things in Mark that you notice, that, that the problem isn't the knowledge that this man can heal. The problem isn't the knowledge that this guy can change the world. The problem is, do they believe it? And in the story today, we notice that Jesus preaches this wonderful sermon. People get this awesome knowledge, but yet they don't believe that Jesus is who he is. And so he turns it on his head. And he points out that, that prophets aren't, are honored everywhere except their hometowns and among their relatives and in their own households. 
Because it's harder to believe when you're in the moment. It's harder to, to take that in and to accept it as it is. It's, it's, it's harder for, for those that are close and near and dear to us to see us as who's God called us to be. And that's speaking from experience. I can't tell you how many family members still struggle to this day that I am a pastor. There are still a few that still struggle. Even after 10 years of preaching and teaching all over Oklahoma and the world, I still have some family that, that call it in doubt a little bit. Why? Because they knew me when. They knew me before God got a hold of me and changed my heart. There are people that I grew up with. There are people that, that I, you know, I spent every waking moment with that, that look at me in my collar and just shake their heads because they cannot understand they've heard my story they've heard my coming to Christ they they know that I know the facts they know that that I trust God but but do they really believe that God called me no they struggle with that and in this story Jesus's family members they have the knowledge but they don't have the belief in church we can be there that could be us we could be experiencing God and, and we could have the knowledge, we could have everything in place, but do we have the belief? That's that next step. That's that going on the mission trip at age 83. I'll never live down. When that nurse came to me and said, I want to go to Chicago with you. It may be a little rough with me, but I want to go to serve because God is calling me and I can do something on this trip. I'll never forget when, when looking at the teenagers that, that I get to spend time with in the summer and, and seeing God at work in their lives and they're willing to take that next step because they believe they've had the facts, now they're willing to take that next step and believe. Jesus' response here is to point out the obvious, that he knew this. He knew people were going to have a hard time. But it's where your heart is. That's what matters. And I think far too often we have the knowledge, we have the data, but do we have the belief? And so we see in the story that, that Jesus was appalled, and this is the line, he was appalled by their disbelief. The King James translates that word appalled as marveled. He was awestruck. And I think he was because it's his family. He'd been around with them his whole life, and he'd done all these great things, and, and he'd definitely lived in the way that God called him to. So you'd think they would have it the easiest, right? But it's quite obvious in this experience that they didn't. But if you notice, Jesus didn't let him, they didn't let that keep him from stop doing what he was doing. If you notice, he said, all right, well, whatever. And then he went in and he didn't perform any miracles. But if you notice, he laid hands on a few sick people and they were healed. So he didn't stop. And so then he continues on. He goes to the disciples and says, okay, here's what I want you to do. You heard this great sermon. You saw how my family responded. I want to put a little bit more out there. I want to send you all out to show them the power and authority that I have to the world and so he equips the disciples he says all right you all have what it takes to go out into the world and to share the good news you have that authority 
So he instructed them. He, he, he gave them these instructions. Now, this would not be a fun trip to take. You don't take anything with you except a walking stick. That's all you get. You don't even get bread or bags, you know, because, you, you know, when you go on a trip, you want souvenirs. Jesus didn't want you to pick up any souvenirs on this trip. No bags, no money. I mean, have you ever taken a trip without any money? It, it doesn't go very well. It may end up being a great story in the end, but the struggle will be real. And he told them to wear simple things, uh, to wear sandals and, and not one shirt, but, or not two shirts, only one. And then when you enter into a house, when you enter into a relationship with someone, and they invite you in and, and you teach them and you show them what it means to, to live God's way, stay there for a while. Build a relationship with these people. Get to know them. And if they don't want to listen to you or welcome them, then shake the dust off your feet as a witness against them. And, and, and I liked how Lamar Williams Jr. talked about this in his, in his gospel commentary on Mark. He said the, the, the shaking of the feet is, is not to remind them that they've done something bad. It's not, uh, I don't like you, so I'm out of here kind of deal. It's to remind the disciples of the mission that they were called to by God that their job's not done yet, and to shake that dust off and to move on. And I think far too often in our own faith journeys that sometimes when we make that invitation to someone and they say no, we give up on them. I, I wait until I get a hard no. And what I mean by hard no is they stop answering my text messages or phone calls or emails. That's the hard no I wait for when I know it's obviously I probably shouldn't be talking about them, about Jesus anymore. I have a friend who, uh, who was hurt by the church as a young child. They used him for his gift too much. They didn't nurture his discipleship. They didn't walk with him in his faith. And it hurt him so much that he can't go back to a church right now. But he knows what faith looks like. He's seen it. He's watched me grow. He's watched some of the things that I've done. And, and he gets it, but he's not there yet. But I don't give up on him. I continually send him messages, emails, text messages, letting him know that God's not finished with him yet. And that God loves him and there's nothing you can do about it. And, you know, he still listens. He hasn't blocked my number. He still asks me questions. He's being discipled in a different way. And that's what we're called to do. We're, we are called as followers of Jesus to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. You all are called by your baptisms. Every single one of us has the authority to go out into the world and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Not just me. Not just Ramona or Judy or Ashley or George. Every single one of us. And you have exactly what people need to hear. You have exactly what God needs to show the world what Christ's love looks like. Don't sell yourself short. I think far too often we get so scared that we're afraid to share the good news with people. We're afraid to show people what God's love may look like because we're afraid of what people may say. Because this world is a vicious place towards that kind of statement. But if we model a life 
if we show people what God's love looks like, that will change people's minds. But we have to enter in a relationship with those people. And some people will let you in, and some people won't. And for those people that won't realize, for everyone that won't, there are more out there that will. And who are looking and searching. And could you imagine that if each and every one of us in this room right now, by next Sunday, would bring one more person back with them to church on Sunday? Think about how full the sanctuary would be. If you just brought one more person. It can even be a family member. I'll let you cheat. Bring, bring a family member back. Even that one that fell asleep and didn't get out of bed this morning. Show them what God's love looks like. Invite them. Get to know them. Find out where they are on the journey. Because when you do that, that's how we make disciples. And when I think about this story, I think of, you know, I, I, I think of the, the struggle they had with his family and then sending the disciples out. And obviously when Jesus sent them out, they were very successful because they stayed true to the mission that God called them to. When we stay true to that mission that God has called us to, amazing things will happen. It's God's mission. It's our decision whether we choose to accept it. Are you ready? I came across this story. I was thinking, I was reading this story in the BBC News this week. It, it was about this man who lived in southern India. And uh, a friend asked him if he was going to the World Cup. And he said, of course. I might even travel to Russia to watch all of this event going on. That was in August of last year. And he had, had no idea that he, he couldn't afford the plane ticket from India to, to, to Russia. And, and he's a freelance math teacher uh, who earns about $40 a day. He said, hey, I realized I wouldn't have enough money to travel to Russia to stay for a month. Then I asked myself, what could be the cheapest way of traveling? Bicycle was the answer. Friends didn't believe him. But he had made up his mind. So on February 23rd, he started the epic journey that took him by air to Dubai, then, the ferry, then a ferry to Iran, and then the Russian capital, which is still 2,600 miles away from Iran. The prize at the end of his journey was he got to see his hero, Messi, world-famous soccer player for those of you that don't know who he is. But then in this story, Francis told the BBC, I love cycling and I'm crazy about football. I simply combined my two passions and the change in the plan cost me a lot. I could not take my bike to Dubai, but I had to buy a new bike, which cost about $700. It wasn't the best one for long distance travels, but it's all I could afford. But he made his journey in the end. He was willing to do what it took. He combined his passion with a mission, and he accomplished it. There's something for us to learn from. God's mission for us in this world is to share God's love. If you look at the whole Bible, that's really what it's about. It's about sharing God's love, loving God, and loving our neighbor as ourself. If we hold that mission in mind, the world change will be huge. And the lives that will touch and change will be uncountable. You'll be hard to see. The seeds that you plant and sow, that's what making disciples is. Sometimes you get to see it, sometimes you don't. This lead group that came through, there was a young man who was a part of this group. 
This young man lived behind me when we lived in Calumet. He was no taller than the stool there when I first met him. JJ wouldn't have been the man who he is today if it wasn't for the church that loved him and cared for him. And it wasn't the pastor that did it. It was the church that loved on him and cared for him and showed him what God's love looked like. That now he's making a difference and wants to share that love with the world. We have a mission, church, to share God's love to everyone, no matter where they are on the journey of life, because you never know how God will work. It's God's mission, not ours. But it's our decision how we follow it. And that's my challenge for you this week. Be a disciple who's willing to go out into the world and share the good news, help the sick, take care of the world as best as we can. We can be those or we can be the family members and just be disgruntled. The choice is yours. And I hope you choose wisely. Because if you choose to serve, your life will never be the same. If you choose to serve, your life will never be so full of God's love and mercy and grace that even when you mess up and you may paint the wall the wrong color and God will still love you and care for you and provide more paint to finish the job right. God loves you and there ain't nothing you can do about it. Remember that this week. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to Tahlequah First Methodist Church's Sermon Podcast. If you'd love to join us in person, we worship at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. And you can find out more information about us by going online at tahlequahumc.org.